0: Well, good morning. Uh, My name's David, and I'm going to be leading uh, the next part of our service as we come to God's Word uh, in Haggai. Uh, If you've not got Haggai open in front of you, then please do get that back open again. You can find it in between the prophets Zephaniah and Zechariah. And if that's of no use to you whatsoever, then it can be found on page 948. And as we turn to the book of Haggai, uh, why don't I begin our time together with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you speak through all parts of your word. You are not a distant God, but you speak to us. You long to speak to us at the start of this new year. And Father, as we come to your word now, uh, Lord, would you convict us of our sin? But would you not leave us there? Would you instead help us to lift our eyes to see Christ in the pages of the Old Testament? And to hear what you have to say at the start of this new year. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was very interesting at the start of our service uh, to see the division that making New Year's resolutions had. Uh, For those who make them, research suggests that the top New Year's resolutions fall under three categories of self-improvement. improve fitness, finances, and mental health. And there are an abundance of articles and videos that capitalize upon this at this time of year. You may have read some. Want to improve your mental health? Try this annual leave hack, which will give you 55 days off this year from only 25 days of annual leave. Want to improve your finances? Here's how to save 671 pounds, 61 pence, with the 1P Savings Challenge want to improve your fitness, here are 24 daily tweaks that you can make to make 2024 your healthiest year yet. But as we saw at the start of our time together, an increasing number of people are doing away with New Year's resolutions, trading them in for some alternative traditions instead. Some are making to don't lists in order to put in healthier boundaries Others are looking to alternatives that put less pressure on this year to be the best year yet. In 2017, instead of making New Year's resolutions, entrepreneur Reshma Chamberlain opted to take a mantra into the new year. A short phrase that she would keep coming back to throughout the year. Deciding upon, ask and you shall receive. So that she might be empowered to pursue new experiences Not exactly what I think Jesus had in mind in Matthew chapter 7. And finally, one person on social media wrote, New Year's resolutions are fine, but this year I'm doing New Year's suggestions where I say what everyone else should do this year. Whether you love them or hate them or are just a bit sick of the cliche of every preacher picking up upon the theme at the start of a new year, the start of a new year is often a time where we consider our ways. As one year ends, another begins. It is a natural time to look back on the year that has passed and to look ahead to the year to come. It is a time for us to consider our priorities, our perspective and our position. And though it comes with slight variations in its phrasing, consider your ways is the repeated refrain that runs through all two chapters of the book of Haggai. A book that we're going to be looking over Uh, And looking at over the next three Sunday mornings, uh, Haggai is a small book of the Bible that consists of four short sermons from the prophet Haggai to the people of ancient Israel in the year 520 BC. uh, The events of which take place over just 20 weeks. But though it is small, as you may have gathered from our reading, it still packs an almighty punch. It's a book that remains of great relevance to us today. And I hope that it will help us as a church family to consider our ways at the start of this new year. Only it's important to note that this is not a book that is interested in self-improvement. It's not going to give us 10 top tips by which we can supercharge our faith or three life hacks so that 2024 can be our godliest year yet. No, instead of resolutions... In the book of Haggai, we are going to read an invitation. An invitation from the Lord, given to his people in the pages of scripture, that remains an open invite to each of us in the room. The book of Haggai is our invitation to be involved in God's building project for this world. To join in with the temple building that he is still doing today. And as we consider our ways at the beginning of this new year, my prayer is that we might see Christ in the pages of this book and that we would joyfully choose to partner with him in his work today. The story of the Old Testament is one of God's continued faithfulness to his people uh, despite their rebellion and sin. But after repeated warnings from God through his prophets, he, he eventually allowed them to be taken out of the promised land and into exile by the Babylonians. In 586 BC, the Babylonians attacked Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, raising it to the ground, and took most of the Israelites into exile in Babylon, where they remained for 70 years. But because he is a gracious God who always keeps his promises, the Lord, in his sovereignty, raised up an entirely new nation, Persia who overthrew Babylon and a new king with him, Cyrus, who allowed the Israelites to return to the promised land so that they might rebuild, specifically that they might rebuild a temple for the Lord. And that's what they did. You can read more about it if you'd like to in your own time in the opening chapters of the book of Ezra. For two years, with enthusiasm and energy, they rebuilt the temple because this temple well, it was the signs of the nations that the Israelites were God's chosen people. It symbolized that the God of all creation had chosen to come and make a home, his dwelling place, with them. Uh, but just like many a building project today, there were holdups, delays, and frustrations. Uh, during these two years of rebuilding the temple, externally, uh, opposition to their work grew. Internally, Division, low morale, lack of resources began to take their toll. And so in Ezra chapter 4, verse 24, we read this. Thus the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Two years they had laboured, rebuilding the temple, but then the work of the temple came to a halt for 16 years years until the second year of a new king, Darius, the king of Persia. And it's at this point that the prophet Haggai, he enters the scene and he speaks God's word to the Israelites. Three points this morning. Our first is this, point one, the challenge. Look down with me at verses one and two of Haggai chapter one. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. We often talk about procrastination as if it were a modern phenomenon and yet right here in the opening verses of Haggai we see God's ability to expose his people's ability to delay i just noticed the subtlety of this uh, the rebuilding of the temple it hasn't been it's not been put off by the israelites it's been put off for 16 years but but not because they're not going to do it they're definitely going to get around to it just just not yet uh, just like the DIY project, the piece of revision, the call we never get around to making. They say, we'll rebuild God's temple. Uh, just not yet. And before we delve into exactly what it means to be involved in God's building project today, I, I wonder if verse two already strikes a chord for some of us in the room. Uh, you want to serve God, you want to give your all to God. He knows that. It's why you've come to church the first Sunday in the new year. It's, It's just not quite the right time yet. There's things that need doing first, things we need to sort out, get in order. Maybe you're at school, studying your A-levels. You're okay if people know that you're a Christian, but you'd rather keep your faith quiet if you can. Avoid those awkward conversations. You'll get involved in the Christian Union when you go to uni. You'll be louder about your faith then, just not yet. Not yet. Maybe you're a student at university. Energy bills have risen. Everyone knows that students don't have very much money. And so you plan to start giving when you move into the working world. Just not yet. Maybe you're in a house share. You'd love to be hospitable, but you don't have the space that your married friends do. You'll be hospitable when you have your own space. Just, just not yet. They say when you're married with no kids, evangelism can be hard. hard. When you have kids, then there will be people to talk to at the school gates. You'll do it then, just not yet. Or maybe the kids are the reason you can't be as involved as you'd like to be in church life. When they've grown up, when they've moved out, uh, then you'll have more time to surf. Just not yet. Or maybe you've got an empty nest. Now's the chance to finally spend some uninterrupted time reading the Bible. But things have just taken off with work things have gotten busier, it can wait until retirement, just not yet. Or maybe retirement heralded the chance to finally become a prayer warrior, to devote some real meaty time to prayer, but no one told you how busy retirement is. What with the caring responsibility, the midweek ministry at church and running around after the grandkids, you will pray, just not yet. Now it's possible I've offended someone from every generation in our church family. So please don't mishear me. It is good and wise to make plans for our future. Our circumstances, our responsibilities matter. Our stage of life may rightly shape what serving and following the Lord looks like now. But is it possible that as we consider our ways, the Spirit is just gently revealing to us that our plans to serve the Lord always seem to be plans for tomorrow and never plans that are enacted today. Haggai continues in verse three and four. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? The challenge from the Lord through his prophet continues. You, you say it's not time to build my house yet, but I can't, I can't help but notice that conveniently, the time to build your beautiful house panelled houses has already come, while my house lies in ruins. Picture the MDF panelling that has made a comeback in the world of interior design. Uh, It's not an obviously practical addition to a house. Uh, Sure, maybe it adds a shelf here or there, but broadly speaking, it's a design choice, a luxury, a, a way of making your wall or your ceiling look nicer. And God's challenge to his people here is is not that panelling your own house isn't allowed. Instead, it's that their priorities are off. Back in Solomon's day, the people had given lavishly, generously, so that the temple could be decorated with precious materials, panelling galore. But now a reversal had taken place, where the people's houses were panelled with cedar wood, whilst the Lord's house remained a pile of rubble. Eric Raymond writes this, Priorities, we all have them, and when we cannot readily recite them, our lives declare them. In the space of just four verses, I think we can understand why the prophets of old were often quite unpopular. These challenges may well have been fair, but that doesn't mean that they would have stung any less. But it is a challenge that is incredibly helpful for us to consider today. Where do our priorities lie? And not where do we say they lie. But as we consider our ways, as we consider our lives, what is the story that they tell? As part of our service last week, we had a lot of fun meshing in what we were thankful for From the year just gone. And from a total of 236 responses, this is the word cloud that they painted. uh, With the answers that are bigger uh, and nearer the centre being the most popular or repeated ones. Family, friends, health, right in the middle. And Jesus there, uh, just slightly to the side. God there, just not quite as important as family, friends and health. Now, this data isn't exact. There's a love heart emoji. And in the interest of full transparency, my answer to the question was Bukayo But as we consider our ways at the start of this year, would that word cloud paint an accurate picture of our top priorities as we begin the year 2024? We've begun with a challenge to our priorities, and now in point two, we move to the Command. Uh, Ruth and I went for a walk down the Trent yesterday uh, to see the impact of all the rain and the flooding we've had recently. Uh, And I have to say, I don't know about you, but I have never found myself longing for summer and the sun uh, as much as I currently am. Uh, And summer is the time of year that Haggai is speaking in our passage. It's the 29th of August, 520 BC. At the point in our calendar, at the point in their calendar, when the people would be able to assess whether the last year's harvest had been a success or a failure. An important time of year which would determine whether the year ahead would be frugal or one of plenty. And it's clear from what the Lord says, it it has not been the year that they hoped for. In fact, it's been a frustrating year for the people. What they put in hadn't yielded the results they'd expected. Uh, The weather hadn't played ball. And as a result, the harvest was a lot smaller why? Why had their past year been so frustrating? Well, God tells them to give careful thought to their ways, to literally consider their ways before he then gives them a clear, maybe surprising answer in verse 9. Look with me. You expected much. But see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? Why? declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Now, our initial reaction might be to think that God is being quite harsh here. He's being petty. Maybe even narcissistic is the word that comes to mind. But the reality is that God is being kind to his people with a hand of discipline. You you see, it was the people's self-centeredness here, their ever-spiraling sin that had led them into exile in the first place. And yet, despite the fact that God had graciously brought them home, back into the land, their selfishness and sin had taken center stage yet again. Without God's intervention, without his word to them, God's people would have continued in their ways, going ever more inward-looking, ever more selfish and proud, creating a country where the dominant culture was to look out for me and my own, my house, and where idolatry reigns. Something I'm sure we can't imagine. But in frustrating the work of their hands, the Lord was issuing his people with a wake-up call. In his sovereignty, the Lord was using this poor harvest to wean his people off their idols of comfort and prosperity, reminding them that the root of all sin The root of ultimately all of their troubles stemmed from not putting the Lord first. God intervened to reveal the futility of his people, each selfishly chasing their own individual building projects. And he called them back so they might come together and build his house instead. And after considering their ways, how do they respond? Verse 12. And Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. I wonder, as we've begun to consider our ways, how do you feel after God's challenge to our priorities in verse 1 to 4? What is your initial response to the Lord's command to build his house in verse 8? Well, maybe you're thinking to yourself, a beat-up's just the start of 2024 that I didn't need. If I've already failed at not eating chocolate a week into the new year, what hope is there that I'll be able to live with the Lord at the centre of my life? I know my priorities are off. I know I regularly choose to make comfort king. I want to respond to the Lord with obedience and fear, but no matter what I do, no matter what resolutions I make, every year is the same, no matter how hard I try to change. Or maybe your response is actually to be quite motivated. This is just the challenge you needed. You love the clarity that a command brings and you hear the command to build God's house loud and clear. This is going to be the year where you reach the lost, where you finally conquer that sin, where you pour yourself out in service of the Lord and you try harder than you've ever tried before. This will be a year that you can look back on and be proud of. Through your hard work this year, God will accomplish some great things. You can feel it. But neither of those responses is all that different than committing ourselves to yet another set of New Year's resolutions, even if they do have a bit of spiritual seasoning. Both responses belong to the world of self-improvement that either leave us wallowing because we failed again or pouring out more blood, sweat and tears in the pursuit of doing better. And so I want to suggest that it is really important that as we read the book of Haggai these next three weeks, it's important that we do so in the context of all of Scripture in the New Testament as well as the Old Because there we find an even better response as we lift our eyes and look to Christ. There we see that he has done what we could never do. A response of perfect obedience, of true fear of the Lord. Ian Dugweed has been really helpful and he writes, thankfully building God's house is not ultimately our task, but Christ's. He is the one who bore the cost of building it. It was relatively easy for Jesus to come in judgment and make a whip to drive the sinners out of God's physical house in Jerusalem. It was a far more painful task for him to come as a saviour and make sinners fit to live in God's house. To do that would require God the Father to turn the whip upon his own son so that he might take upon himself the punishment that our sins deserved. Both aspects of Christ's ministry are crucially important. Uh, On the one hand, he has taken upon himself the punishment that we deserved for our self-centred failure to seek God's kingdom and to build his house. On the other, in cleansing the temple, he has himself shown the zeal for God's house and kingdom that we lacked. That righteousness of his has now been credited to us as if it were our own, just as our sin of being perpetually interested only in our own houses has been placed to his account. As we reflect on Christ and on all that he has done, uh, instead of wallowing or working our fingers down to the bone, our response to this passage can gloriously be one of worship. The good news of the gospel is that, yes, our priorities have been wrong. Yes, we have repeatedly pursued our own self-interest instead of obeying the commands of the Lord. And yes, we very often make idols out of comfort and security. And yet we still have a God who loves us so deeply that he left his home in heaven, stooped into this world in order to die the death of an exile so that we might have the guarantee of a room in his house the promise that we will never have to endure exile from his presence ever again. Christ is the true lasting hope that we need at the turn of another year because he is the only one who has kept God's commands. He is the only hope for a world so bent out of shape by misguided priorities and desires and he offers grace to each one of us this morning no matter what kind of year or week we're leaving behind. And finally, point three, the comfort. God's command to us today to build his house, it still stands, but it is no longer a command to go out and build a physical building in Jerusalem. You can save your air miles for something else. Instead, it is to see that Christ has come as the fulfillment of God's temple. He is God's house where God's presence dwells. And amazingly, if we follow him, then we, his church, are both a part of his house and invited to partner with him in building his house. Ian Dougweed helpfully writes again, the visible symbol of God's presence in the midst of his people it is no longer the temple, as it was in Haggai's time, nor is it the church building. Rather, according to the New Testament, it is Jesus Christ himself. as Emmanuel, God with us. He physically represented God's presence in the midst of his people. Now that Jesus has ascended to heaven and poured out his spirit upon the church, God's presence is represented in the world by us, his people, As the body of Christ, the church is the new temple made up of Jews and Gentiles being built together as a holy dwelling place for God. The apostle Peter puts it like this in 1 Peter 2. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God is at work in the world building his house today in two ways, adding to his temple day by day as more people put their trust in God's cornerstone, Jesus. But also by chiselling, shaping those who are already part of his house more and more into the likeness of Jesus the living stone. And it is this work that God calls us to partner with him in. Uh, It is his work, but it is not a passive process. Uh, We're not to let go and let God's, but instead we are to actively work with him to help him build his church. This is the invitation we're given in chapter one of the book of Haggai, Come and build my church, my house. And I wonder as we consider our ways at the start of this new year, how might you be involved in building God's house this year? How might you play your part in in reaching the lost for Christ? How might you make this a year where you build up and encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ? What would accepting God's invitation to build his house look like this year? There's so many things that we could talk about now, but, but let me encourage you after the service, if you're someone who tends to rush off, if you're able to this week or maybe in future weeks, stay for a, for a drink and, and spend some time talking with those in the church family, considering our ways together, thinking about how we might be involved, play our part in God's building project. But whether building God's house, his church, is a prospect that daunts or excites you, it's not something that God calls us to do alone. God is not looking for independent contractors to build his church. Instead, he calls us to this work together. And he gives us this final comfort in verse 13 to 15. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. Over the month of December, I was on a placement at a church in Tipton, just north of Birmingham. Uh, doing lots of the preaching there whilst their pastor and his family were away. Uh, And I think the scariest part of my time there was giving a carol service talk uh, in a care home. You might wonder why this scared me, Uh, but the week before I gave the talk, I was told uh, by some of the church who've been there for a few months speaking, I, I was told I should expect a great deal of heckling. And to even expect some rather fruity swearing uh, from one of the old ladies who was a regular attendee. But the reassurance I was given by uh, one of the wonderful believers there is that as I spoke, I wouldn't be alone. Uh, There would be others from the church family there with me. And most importantly, that the Lord was with me by his spirit and that he could speak through any barrier of illness or distracting heckles. I am with you, declares the Lord. As you go out to build the Lord's house this week, reaching the lost or helping to build up his people, know that you do not go out alone. God's work of building his house is not dependent on you. But he wants you involved in his work to partner with him. And so instead, we can all go out holding on to this wonderful promise from Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20. Let's close with these words. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Why don't we spend a moment of quiet, considering our ways, and then we'll pray. Father, thank you for giving us your words. Thank you that you're willing to speak to us hard truths. And we come to you and confess that our priorities have not been good. They have often revolved around ourselves, our comfort, how to make the world a slightly better place for us. Father, thank you that when we come to you, there is grace. Thank you for Christ who has done what we never could. And thank you that despite our sin, because of him, you invite us to play a part in building your house. Help us over these next few weeks to think about what our role might be in building your church today. Thank you that you would choose to ask people like us to be involved in your building project for this world. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we're going to close with a final song that that acts as a prayer at the start of this new year, that, that God would be our vision for the year ahead. Let's stand and let's sing, Be Thou My Vision. Please stand.